it's an interesting time of year, isn't it? It's like we, we put this, we, we draw this imaginary line as if something has ended and something new is going to begin. But actually, the reality is, sort of be doom and gloom, right? But the reality is, we, 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 we go to sleep one day, we make up the next and nothing's really changed. That's the, the reality of it. But we make this um, big, big thing of it. And I don't know what your thoughts are on 2023 hopes and dreams. I think it's a time we kind of start to look ahead and think, like, what am I going to achieve this year? What's going to be new? Um, all that kind of thing. But, you know, we've got a, a lot of stuff in our world that happened last year and it's continuing into 2023. I think um, I can't actually remember a news cycle that's so depressing, can you? <laughs> that's flowed from one year to the next. And we've had a couple of pretty depressing years, but you know, um, you know, we've still got a war going on in Ukraine, we've got political uncertainty, we've got a cost of living crisis, we've got strikes, we've got all these kind of things that are kind of going on in, in the news. And it's so easy to get ourselves caught up in, a, in a, like a downward spiral of negativity and, you know, there's no hope. The world's the, the, the worst it's, it's ever been. And I've, I've been around for quite a while now, right? For 55 years and counting. And um, we've had seasons like this in my lifetime before. I don't know if, is, is any, was anybody, I, I mean, Norman and Jane will put their hands straight off this. Anybody was around in the 70s? Yeah, John, you, were, you guys were definitely there in the 70s. And, and I remember like a very similar period of time. I was at primary school and we had all this kind of thing, you know, uh, political uncertainty, prime ministers coming and going. Do you remember it was 1974 and we had like two prime ministers in one year? I know that doesn't seem like a lot by current <laughs> standards. But we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, I think it was like, there was like two, so not two, but two general elections in one year, right? I remember that. I remember I was talking about that in primary school. And there was a cost of living crisis with strikes. The strikes were so bad. I remember, I said, look at all these old people nodding. But I remember things that was so bad that um, the, 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 we, we had planned um, power outages. What did you call them? Three, what do you call them? Power cuts. Planned power cuts, right? Be because there wasn't enough... There wasn't enough, uh, right? <laughs> Heather up, you come. Um, <laughs> but there wasn't, there wasn't enough, like, coal being generated to keep the power stations open, so there was, like, planned power cuts, right? So what I'm saying is that although we are in extremely difficult times, that this isn't a new thing. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun, you know? And as much as it feels like we're in the worst of times, we may well be, we may well be, but you know, we, we have, it has been seen before, I know that we'll, we'll see it again, and there's a lot of discussion and debate and disagreement around so many things just now, and everything seems really negative, and, and, and when you listen to the narrative, and it may be right that it's like that things are going to get worse before it gets better, that's the narrative that we're, we're, we're being told just now. Um, so much talk about we need to get rid of this government and get a new government in. We've, we've tried that <laughs> many times. Doesn't seem to change much. Um, and then we think like, if we change the government, are, would, are, are the new lot going to be any better than the old lot? We, we, we don't. We don't know. Um, we, we hear things about in our in NHS and 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 in our infrastructure. We need to invest more. But if the system's broken, money's not going to be the issue. Right? You know, this must be, it looks like there's other things that need to change. It's not just about putting money in. 
Um, we have people that say that we have to support those who are on strike. And other people will say, no, we shouldn't support that because the strikes are making things worse. And we have these polarized views on all these things. And then, you know, we've got an ongoing debate in Scotland about, well, tell me, what, what will solve this problem is if we become an independent country? And then a counter-argument to that would be, well, why don't we focus on the things that we need to do before we get to that stage? Do you see what I'm saying? And we've got all these kind of different arguments. Some are very polarized. People are taking really strong stances and things. But the reality is all this stuff is all very nuanced. You know, there's not a golden or not a silver bullet that's going to change any of these things. And I think that where we find ourselves and at the start of 2023 is that if we look at our world and we look at the things that are going on in our world and we listen to the, the narrative around all these things, it looks like there is no hope. It looks like that we are on a downward slope. Look to the world, there's no hope. But guys, we are the children of God and we look to Jesus, yeah? And in Jesus, there is hope. There is hope, yeah? Yeah? There is hope. If we take our eyes off the world and look to Jesus, we will find hope. If we take our eyes off of Jesus and look at the world, we'll find hopelessness. We sing about it, don't we? We sing that song sometimes, we look to the sun, S-O-N. We look to the sun, we look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If we want perspective, we have to look to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, you know, before I get into this this morning, that don't get caught up in the spiral of negativity and hopelessness that's in our world, right? We are um, distributors and preachers of good news. Yeah? What is Jesus' opening mandate when he began his ministry, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. And if that's the mandate of Jesus to bring good news, that is our mandate as well. And that's not to trivialize what is going on. And that's not to say that the things that we see in our world and in our own lives are not important or not huge or not significant or not life-changing. But the reality is that if we get ourselves caught up solely in that and we get into the debate and we take polarized views and all that kind of thing over these things, then we are not offering good news, hope, and light into the world. Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't shade the light that I've given you. You should be a light in the hill shining out the good news and the love of Jesus. And if we are going to do anything in 2023, if we're going to be anything in 2023, we have to be light. We have to be purveyors of the goodness of God. Yeah? Yeah? You with me with that? Right? And, and, and I'm, I'm really fighting hard at the moment like to, to get myself into that place that my mind is set on God and my mind is set in his goodness. My mind is set in the hope of Jesus. Because everything that I see outside of that offers nothing. It just offers despair. And I want to look this morning about what it is to be good. 
I've got a terrible title for this sermon. I've already confessed it to Kenny and to, to Ash. But I've just, I've just, I've called it being good because I can't think of anything better. But we want to be good, right? We want to be good. Like that's really what's been on my heart this past few weeks. So I've been, I've been speaking to God about like what, what does it mean to be good? We, we, we talk about God is good. We sing about God is good. If you're from certain streams of the church of Jesus Christ, if I was to shout out God is good, you would say all the time. All the time. Right? So I tell you what, that that does not translate in Falkirk, does it? It does not translate in Falkirk. But we have this thing about God is good. We sing about it. We talk about it. We say it. But do we believe it? And again, if we say that we believe it, are we living it? See, see, the thing about belief is you only truly believe something if you live it, right? If you say you believe something, you're just saying you believe it. If you live it, you truly believe it. And if you went to the dictionary, you would find 41 uses of the word good as an adjective and six uses as a noun. So good, even as a, a, a word, as a complex word. And as usual <clears throat> in the English language, where a lot of other languages have multiple words for different variances of a, you know, so if you go to Greek, there's different variances of the word good. You come to English and we say good for a whole multitude of things, like that donut was good, but there's nothing good about a donut, is there, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so we have all different things, but if we're saying like that donut is good and then we're saying that God is good, that's quite a variance in meaning, isn't it? And the the Bible uses the word good or the word goodness over 600 times. But basically, there's this kind of three meanings in the Greek. And and the the main meaning is that um, it's to possess a positive quality, to possess a positive quality. And the, that word was used when Jesus said that only God is truly good. He, Jesus said that in Mark 10. He was asked the question, or he was referred to as good master. And Jesus said, only God is truly good. And, and what Jesus was saying there, only God is able to possess the pure, positive quality of real goodness. We demonstration. Here, I've got a couple of, a couple of props here we go. Go with me in this. This is not my usual style, but here we go. So I wanted to think about purity, pure positive quality of goodness. Like, what, what does that look like? So bottle of water, bottle of Coke, right? So if we imagine that the bottle of water represents the goodness of God, and then the bottle of Coke represents the goodness of mankind, goodness of humanity, right? Both good. So on a hot day, you're thirsty, what do you go to? Like, do you go to the water, which you know is good for quenching thirst and is, by its very nature, good for us? Or do we think about the commercials with the big Arctic truck and Santa or the old ones with his polar bears or the Diet Coke ones, you know, where you've got workmen taking their tops off and <laughs> all that kind of thing, right? 
when you're, when you're thirsty, when you're thirsty, you have a choice. You can go for water, you can go for Coke. And we might find ourselves desiring a bottle of Coke, not because it's better for us, but because we have an implication that it quenches our thirst, that it tastes good, and that's what we want, even though we know that water is better for us, yeah? And goodness works in the same way. We would rather walk in our own goodness as decided by us or by others than walk in the goodness of God. When you try to look through the bottle of Coke, you can't see through it. Things are added to Coke to make it dark. It's got color in in it. Water is pure. It can be seen through. Coke contains, and I've wrote these down, carbonated, purified water, sugar, caramel, food acid, flavor, and caffeine. Water is natural. It It contains hydrogen and oxygen. Life is dependent on water. Coke is dependent on water. Without water, there's no Coca-Cola. You see, there's goodness in this because there's water in it. And like all of us, all of mankind, there is goodness in every one of us because we're created in the image of God. We all have the capacity for goodness. It's in us. But we add other things into it to make it more palatable or to make it goodness or the, the, good, the good things that we, the things that we imply as being good, we do it because for our own benefits or what we decide is good rather than what God has decided for good. You see, God's goodness, like the water, is pure. God's goodness isn't complex, it's simple. Human goodness is muddied with different things, different additives, just like the Coke. It's, it's muddied with good deeds to bring recognition and self-advancement. We see, we feel good about that because it makes us, that kind of thing makes us feel good. Our goodness is darkened by the sin in our lives. And like Coke has water included in the ingredients, like I've said, we have got the goodness of God within us. And the goodness the true, the pure goodness that we have is entirely dependent on God because without God, there is no goodness at all. If you take the water out of the Coke, it no longer becomes a drink. It has no capacity to quench thirst. If you take God out of your life, you have no capacity for good because all goodness is found in God. Yeah? The goodness of God, or every human being has a capacity to do good because they are images of God. They were created to be good. And also, sticking with my analogy, I'm going full, I'm going right to the end with this Coke water analogy. But you can't obtain Coca-Cola everywhere you go. You've got to go to an outlet, to a shop, supermarket, to obtain it. But water is everywhere. It's underground, it's above ground, it falls from the sky. We can wash and cleanse ourselves with water. Water causes things to grow. Water will pour down from the skies on us, whether we deserve it or not. 
If you try to wash yourself with Coke, if you try to use Coca-Cola as, as, a, as the growing agent for a plant, whatever, it's not going to work. We need water. And it's the same with the goodness of God, right? We need that pure goodness of God to cleanse us. Because if we don't, we still feel sticky. We still feel messy if we're trying to cleanse ourselves with our own version of goodness. Goodness of God brings growth and change and life. God's goodness is all around us. It cleanses us, it causes us to grow. And if we just attempt to have the appearance of God's goodness, all we're doing then is being like the bottle of Coke. It will work for a while, but it's not what we really, what we really need. When God created Adam, he created him with, posit- with the positive quality of goodness that God had in himself. God created Adam with his goodness in him. And remember when God created the heavens and the earth and all the plants and the creatures and mankind, he said, this is good. This is good. Humanity was created in God's image. Human beings had God's goodness, therefore. But when sin entered in, sin damaged the good things that God created, and that included humanity's goodness. The goodness of God that was inbuilt in every human being and is inbuilt in every human being is damaged. It's there, but it's damaged because of sin. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. When we stray from God's path, we, we lose some of our goodness. Yeah? Because we're looking to do our own thing. And what we begin to do is that we go away from God. When our path goes away from God, we start to look for something better or something more fulfilling. Um, it used, the term used to be that we would be searching for the good life, which again is a kind of old term. And, but but the, the term, the, the good life, was a, a phrase that was kind of coined post-war, um, after World War II, because obviously the, the, the USA and Europe like, were in disarray after, after the war, and there was a big surge on to make life better, to live a better life, because people had spent like a decade and more in, in, in abject, like poor conditions. And the, it was first used um, just after the First World War, this term, the, the good life. Um, people were hungry for a more enjoyable lifestyle because it had been so grim during that time. And that's when TV ads started to appear um, with commercials selling what was known as, in those days, as the good life. That was actually a phrase, that commercials were there to sell the good life. And the good life was about a life abounding in material comforts and luxuries. So we still see it today. People driving the, the fastest, sleekest car so we can have a better life. And if you think about it, when we're being sold a car or on a TV advert, 
they're not really selling the car, they're selling a picture of a lifestyle that the car will bring you. So you might get like an amazing car advert, but they don't show you that car being advertised, gridlocked at quarter past eight on the M8, trying to get into Glasgow on a wet, damp Tuesday morning, right? No, they'll take you up to the Highlands and drive it around these free, windy, lovely roads with mountains and lochs and snow-capped hills and not another car on the road. What they're trying to sell you is, you buy this car, you will have freedom. You'll have space, you can breathe. This will be a better life for you. Bigger homes, faster cars, fancier clothes, makeup to make you look younger than your age is the perception of trying to live the good life or find a better life through possessions, through material things, yeah? And what we're doing there is we are shifting what we perceive as to be good, a good life or good living from where God says it is to another place. What we have now is that a life lived according to the moral culture has become the standard for judging whether a life is good or not. We no longer in our, our culture determine a good life by what God's word says. A good life is determined by what our culture says, by what society says. What is right for me might not be right for you, but what is wrong for you might not be right for me. That's what our culture tells us. And what we have is we now live and we have done for a long time that the principles of the Bible no longer dictate what truth is and no longer dictate what is good. And in the New Testament, um, Paul warned Timothy, his protege, about this. He was talking to Timothy about what um, the world will look like in the last days. And Paul describes this to Timothy. He said, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Paul's painting a picture of a world where the, the truth of what goodness is has been distorted into something else. But however, if we go to Ephesians 2, Paul actually counters that by saying we are God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Yeah, do, do, do you see the, the thing that right? God has planned for us to do good things, the things that he has planned for us to do, not the things that we have deemed to be good. And, you know, if we look back in our history, the history of the world, history actually shows up the lack of goodness in humanity. Our daily news cycle reflects our lack of goodness. Even, even our children prove our lack of goodness. Don't know if anyone has, has ever sat their children or their child down and taught them how to be selfish or taught them how not to share or how not to lie. We, we don't have to do it. <laughs> They just get on with that themselves, right? Because all of us are born, born with an innate, innate tendency to do the wrong thing. That's a distortion that sin has brought in to God's goodness. Our, our, 
Our leaning is always towards doing what is not good in God's eyes, and that's because we are self-focused. If you think about it, when we're teaching a child to share, we are saying to them, don't be selfish, don't just think of yourself. Isn't it? That's what we do, that's the teaching we give to our children. But we don't have to tell them to be selfish. We don't have to tell them not to share. It's in the end, we are constantly trying to teach our children to be good. And Paul himself, remember this is Apostle Paul who, who wrote most of the New Testament and he also faced this struggle. In Romans 7, Paul, I love this with Paul, like he bears his soul about how difficult he finds living for God. He puts his heart in his sleeve and he says this, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Anybody there? Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So there's a great thing. There's an awareness of, of doing the wrong thing as awareness that God knows what is good. You have an awareness of God. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. We can all relate to that, right? And most of us have heard enough sermons to know what is acceptable and not acceptable to God's word. We, we, we talk about this on a weekly basis. So, for example, we know that we shouldn't gossip or talk ill of someone else. But we do it, right? We do. We know that we should guard our tongue, but we don't. Because sometimes we, we lie. And when I say lie, we just don't tell the truth. Or we steal. Steal doesn't have to always be physical theft. You know what I mean? We, but we, we, we rob others. We rob ourselves of things. We suffer from greed and pride. And then we feel guilty. And then we make a pledge to change. And that's what Paul is saying here about himself that he goes through these struggles. And maybe you can relate to Paul when he, when he cries out further on in the same chapter. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I know I can relate to Paul's sorrow there. But in the next verse, he answers his own question. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah? You see, we can get caught up in the negative spiral of our condition, of our inability that in, within ourselves to do good, to do the right thing. But when you look to Jesus, that changes. That changes. We have the capacity to do good. See, when we accept Jesus, we're born again. And that means we're born into a spiritual or a new spiritual life and a new spiritual attitude, we were given, we're given gifts. We're given salvation. We are, we are seen as righteous in God's eyes. We are justified in our salvation through Jesus. These are all gifts that God gives us when we say yes to him. 
And through these gifts, God begins to work in us through the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. He works to help us make our faith unfailing. He works to make our love greater. He works to make our endurance stronger. And he works to give us the desire and power to do what pleases him. In other words, to do what is good. Paul again in Philippians 2.13 said, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So how, so how do we get there? How, what, how practically can we press in towards the goodness of God into, into good living as God um, defines it? So I've got three, I think, just to close with, just three things to think about. The first one is community. God did not design us to be lone rangers. He did not design us to be isolated beings. He designed us to live in community with one another. And that's why in Hebrews 10, which is probably, this is my most quoted scripture, is this. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another to do what? Towards acts of love and good works. So being together in this context and rubbing off on each other and encouraging each other and, and championing each other spurs us on and helps us in community to, to develop into people who do the good works of God. It's a lonely and difficult journey if you're not with someone else. It's hard enough trying to deal with the, the sinful human condition but at least if you know you're around other people who, like Paul, are in the same struggle, but are intent on being, living good lives for God, then at least we can encourage one another, spur each other on. That's why like those verses saying that iron sharpens iron, flint sharpens flint. You, you, need, you need two pieces of flint or two pieces of iron. You can't sharpen yourself, right? And that's all about relationship. It's about conversation. It's about discussion. It's being with each other. Iron sharpens iron. Two things are needed for that. And that's why God has placed us in community. So that would be my first encouragement. Be at church. Be around people. Don't try and work it out for yourself. Be like Paul and say, like, I'm struggling with this. This is hard. I don't know what way to turn. Like, my life feels like a car crash just now. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Right? Get it out there. Tell God. Tell someone else. And then let that person encourage you. Encourage you. Say that hope is not lost. Hope is not lost. Community, first thing. The other one is, is the word of God. This. Guys, have you all got one of these? Can I just encourage you to read it? <laughs> to read this. Read this. I love Lorraine read 26 books last year. But if you're going to read one book this year, read this one. 
right? It's better than every, every book about the Bible. Sorry, the Bible is better than every book about the Bible. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Read this. Read this. Understand it. Talk, tell people what, tell, read someone in the Bible and go, and go and talk to someone about it saying, like, I've just been reading this stuff. It's amazing. Or I've been reading this stuff. No clue. Don't get it. Don't understand it. And maybe the person that you're speaking to doesn't understand it either, but talking about it and discussing it and bringing God into it and praying over it, you will learn. You will learn. Second Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right or it teaches us to do what is good. Yeah? Bible, please, please read it. And then, finally, we have to concentrate. We have to focus on these things. Philippians 4 and 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We've got to concentrate on God. We've got to concentrate on the goodness of God. We've got to concentrate on the things that please God. It's not enough just to know it and try hard. It's almost like focus, fix your eyes, concentrate, like be transfixed on the things of God. And you can only do that successfully through being in community with people and getting into his word. It's all in there. It's all in his word. I said three, there's four. And we need to, we need to apply, we need to apply what we learn. Again, I don't know what your practice is. um, You you come to church, you hear me preach or someone else preach. It's it's not my responsibility what you do with that, right? That's between you and the Lord. But we do need to apply what we've learned. And Peter says this in his letter, in his first letter, 1 Peter 3.11, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I think underlying or underpinning some of this stuff for Peter, because if you know Peter's character, Peter tried really hard to be the good guy with Jesus. He tried so hard that he got it so wrong, right? And I think what Peter is driving at here is like, when you learn something about Jesus, when you hear something about how we need, you need to change how you're living or make an adjustment, turn away from what you were doing before and go after the thing that you've now learned. Right? You have to apply. And learning is a daily experience. We learn something new every day and we have to apply what we learn into our lifestyle, into our way of living. And as I close, my last encouragement to you, I said three is actually five, um, is 
Don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians 6 and 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Church slash community, the word of God, fixing our eyes on the truth, applying everything that we learn and read of God and being faithful and sticking in there and we will find God in these things.